Uh, but praise the Lord, we're not going to feel the wrath of God. Uh, the Bible says here in Revelation chapter number 15, as we continue through the book of Revelation, I've actually entitled the message, The Wrath of God. And, um, and Revelation chapter, if we get through both of them, but uh, I believe we can. And, uh, and, and the first chapter 15 is kind of short. And so that's why we can do that. But uh, uh, let's look in Revelation chapter number 15 and verse number one. As we continue through uh, the book of Revelation, the Bible says in Revelation 15 and verse number one, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be gathered in your house. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and help us to learn, help us to see, Father, in your word what you'd have us to learn. And God, there's much information. And uh, God, I pray that we would... Um, that again, that we'd have understanding of it all. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. And again, God, I thank you for each and every person that's here. And God, uh, we want you to be glorified in all. And, and God, will thank you for that. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. The word wrath, I want to start out with this, is used uh, 13 times in the book of Revelation. And uh, the word wrath doesn't show up in the book of Revelation until chapter 6, uh, when the tribulation starts. And uh, really, you, you'll remember we've gone over the first three chapters where the dealt really with the church, and chapter 4 started a new, uh, a new scene, really, in heaven, where John saw that vision in heaven. And, uh, and you'll notice in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that is really an introduction and a presentation of a heavenly heavenly scene of God being uh, worshipped and adored. And you'll remember in chapter 5, uh, I believe it was in, at least in chapter 5, that he was given the book that no man could open with the seven seals. And then he started opening those seals in Revelation chapter 6. That's when the tribulation starts. That's when uh, all of the things start to happen uh, on the face of the earth. And so uh, in Revelation chapter 6, uh, the that's the first time that wrath is used in the book of Revelation. The last time we see the word wrath in the book of Revelation is Revelation chapter number 19. And so, uh, so I'm, the goal is not to run a word study on the word wrath tonight, but, but we'll 
touch on it a little bit, but it is good to understand the background of a little bit of this word and its usage throughout the book of Revelation. I enjoy studying words. I enjoy studying phrases and running them through the Bible, but I also enjoy taking a passage and just looking and trying to understand what God would have us to learn from here. So we look in Revelation 15. You'll remember in chapter 14, we closed with the, um, the, the wheat being harvested out of the earth uh, and then the, the sickle being thrust into the earth and the grapes being harvested and being thrust into... Uh, let's go back and read it there in verse 19 because it talks about it and it gives us there that wrath as well there in verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. We're in uh, chapter 14 and verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Verse 1 of chapter 15, And I saw another sign in heaven. Uh, great and marvelous. So we find this sea open uh, and we, we, we witness there the end there of, of uh, kind of our parenthetical statement uh, in the close of chapter 14 and we move into 15 and we're going to continue uh, throughout that, that tribulation period and all the things that are taking place. And I want you to notice in verse 1 he gives us a very good synopsis of what he is going to talk about. My dad used to say... Uh, as he studied, uh, he, he would read a book. I'm like, how'd you read that so fast? He said, oh, I opened it up and I read the first paragraph of every chapter. He said, a good author uh, will tell you everything that they're going to talk about in the first paragraph of every chapter. And then they'll just go on and expand on it. He said, so save my time. I just read the first paragraph of every chapter and got the gist of the book. I'm like, I don't think, Dad, that counts for reading the book. But uh, then again, you know, he went to college and graduated with more degrees than I got. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I won't argue with him. But we find that true in this verse. Uh, he says, and I saw another sign in heaven. He gives us the whole thing, uh, this sign that's going to take place. Notice here the great and marvelous. Uh, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. But uh, he says, uh, the seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. We don't cover that really until chapter 16. Uh, but he kind of gives us the synopsis of what is going to take place here in these next few uh, passages that we'll read. And so we see here a scene in verse number 2 of the sea of glass. It says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. In verse number two, we see uh, these uh, those that were saved uh, out of the tribulation. We, of course, see here... Uh, Let's go back to verse number one. Before we get into verse number two, I got ahead of myself. I do want to cover the wrath of God really quick. Uh, and then we'll go back. But you see the seven angels there in verse number one. Then we'll go to the sea of glass after that. But we see this scene in the overview. We see the seven angels. And then we see the seven plagues. He touches on that. And then he, he mentions here the wrath of God. 
And I bring it out because I find it fascinating that, uh, and I think this is, uh, as we study it throughout the book of Revelation, it does become more apparent. Uh, in chapter 6 and verse number 16 and 17, men are calling it the wrath of the Lamb. They're saying, you'll remember, they're fleeing into the mountains and they're hiding in caves and they're saying, fall on us and hide us or kill us, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. And, uh, and so men are proclaiming that. Uh, in chapter 11, verses 18 down through 24, the elders that are setting in heaven, the 24 elders, they call it the wrath of God that is to come. Uh, in chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, uh, just right here in our passage, you have the wrath, and it's declared as a future event that is going to take place. And then in verse 19 that we read, uh, we do have the wrath of God that is associated with that end last time thing with the wine press of the wrath of God. And then we see here in verse 15, or chapter 15 and verse 1, that, hey, it's about to come to, come to pass. And when you get to chapter 16, uh, really, we're going to see the wrath of God poured out upon the earth. And the reason I bring all that up and state that is to say this, the first part of the tribulation, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but compared to the second part, compared to this part, uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot less. I'll say that. Uh, the disease, the famine, the wars, that is more man, that is more man dominating the earth, man dominating things. But when you get to the end here, and as we go through chapter 16 and we see those vials poured out upon the earth, there is no doubt in any person's mind that the wrath of God and the judgment of God is falling upon the earth. It becomes indisputable at that moment. Uh, whereas before that, many men probably will just deny that it is God. Uh, and, and so uh, I just want to point that out, that it is about to get uh, very bad uh, in this, this time period here on the earth. And so uh, notice all of this. Look with me in verse number one. We mentioned this. He says, um, there was a great, in, in verse number one, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Look with me in verse number three. And they sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the son of uh, the song of the Lamb, saying, "Great and marvelous are thy works." And so these two times, "great and marvelous," are used, and they're used in um, in conjunction with God's judgment that is being poured out on the earth. And so we see a great strength uh, in this wrath of God that is about to take place. And, and I want you to notice, we're going to look too at this sea here uh, and the saints that are on the sea in verse number 2 that we started down there. And it says there in verse number 2, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, the Bible's very clear in, these, in this verse uh, who these people are. These are people who were saved during the tribulation time. 
Uh, they were the ones who saw the mark of the beast. They refused to take the mark of the beast. There's, the Bible's indisputable on that. It's very clear. And so these are people who had been saved during the tribulation time, and they refused that mark of the beast. They refused to worship his image. And the Bible is very explicit on that here in this verse. And they're standing on this sea. And, and look at, uh, as we notice their, their victory, I want you to notice as well the song that they're singing. You'll remember in Revelation 14, we talked about a song that only they could learn and that nobody else would learn. And we associated that with people who have gone through the tribulation will have similar experiences and they will understand each other uh, far better than you and I will have uh, understood not having gone through the tribulation. And so uh, notice the two songs they sing in verse number, verse number three. And they, sang the so they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And this is, of course, a Jewish song. And by the way, over the next two chapters, 15 and 16, there is a lot of correlation between uh, the nation of Israel as it was in Egypt and in bondage and these vials that are poured out on the earth. There's a lot of similarities. And here we have them singing the song of Moses. And, uh, and the only thing that I could fathom that would be close to is Exodus chapter 15 uh, when the nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea. They came over on the other side and Moses' sister Miriam wrote a song and sang, uh, The horse and rider hath he thrown into the sea. And they sang that. You know why we don't sing that in our, uh, in, in our, in our, in our churches today? We weren't there. We, he didn't throw a horse and rider into the sea in our experience. Uh, I've never seen that. Uh, now, I know God did that for the nation of Israel. I have no doubt about that. And I'm not doubting God's power, but I'm telling you this. It's implicitly a Jewish song. And, uh, and I have heard that song, song Exodus 15, as a, a scripture song. Uh, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I'm just saying they're singing a song of Moses, possibly. And I'm not saying it is Exodus 15, but possibly something that may go along with that. But not only that, but they're singing also, and I love this part, the song of the Lamb. Now, we do sing songs about the Lamb of God. And, and that does correlate with us, which does lead me to believe and understand, hey, that their salvation is the same as our salvation, that they're dependent upon the Lamb of God that shed His blood for the world so that they too can be saved and they can be born again. I thought of this song that we sing. Uh, we sing, um, um, I didn't write the title down, but have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? You know what the next words say? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now, remove yourself from all of Christianity for a moment and picture yourself as somebody who walked in off the street and, and we're singing this song and they're scratching their head saying, what on earth have I got myself into? Because they have no idea. 
And of course, we are singing about the blood of the precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb that John uh, the Baptist called Him, the, the Lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. We're singing about Him. Why? Because He took our place and He took our penalty and He took his, our sin upon Himself and, and shed His precious blood so that you and I can be born again. And, and the ties of that go all the way back to the Old Testament, even to Adam and Eve that God took and made them coats of, of the skins of animals, uh, which was probably the very first sacrifice. And it goes on all the way up into the, uh, the, the, the uh, practice of Moses and all the, uh, the Israelites, the, the Levites that God had established to be the priests and the tabernacle and all through the temple and all through that time that they would take a lamb. They would shed its blood. Really, the Passover started in, in Egypt with all the plagues, uh, and, and that's where God established it with the nation of Israel. By the way, I found it interesting as I was reading through my Bible that uh, some of the kings had gotten away from that. And I remember, I, I, if I'm, I'm, I think it was King Josiah, eight years old, and he realized, we're not doing this. We need to be doing this. And he started and, and they brought in the sacrifices and they started sacrificing again. And, and it was a glorious day in the nation of Israel. They had gotten away from that. And I'm just saying that they're singing uh, the song of the Lamb. They're singing a song of Moses. They're glorifying God, as the Bible says. Uh, they're talking about his great works. The Bible says this. Look with me in Psalm 86 and verse 8. Psalm 86 and verse 8. We're talking about this scene that's taking place in heaven, and uh, John is witnessing it, of course. And, uh, and Psalm chapter 86 and verse number 8. This psalm goes along with this very well about them glorifying God. Psalm 86 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. I'm in Psalm 86, and verse number 8, in case I didn't give you the starting verse. Verse number 9, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things, thou art God alone. Teach me me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth, my, uh, unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. Go back to Revelation. This is what they're doing as they're praising the Lord in verse number, uh, verse number four. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. By the way, isn't it fascinating there in verse number four? All nations shall come before thee and worship. Boy, praise the Lord, I was a missionary before, and I'm glad and I'm grateful for the privilege that I had to go and preach the gospel in Peru, South America, and in Italy as well. And we saw people saved there, at least in Peru, and I'm grateful for that. And I can tell you that there are believers, hey, just about everywhere. I don't know that everywhere in the world right now today, but I can tell you this, hey, that since Jesus Christ came to this earth... 
and died on the cross of Calvary that, hey, the gospel has been preached around the world. The Bible says that. And so uh, there has probably been people saved out of every, uh, every tribe and every tongue, at least somewhere down through the roads uh, that, that have accepted the Lord. And listen, man, what a day we all get together and we're praising the Lord together in heaven and we're exalting God. And I'm just saying that here is a gathering of the saints, uh, and I believe that's specifically referencing those saints that had been saved out of the tribulation period. So we have the sea of glass that is being uh, talked about there in those verses. Look with me in verse 5. We'll continue. The Bible says it's going to talk about these seven angels. Uh, and after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So where the scene is still in heaven and he's talking about this, uh, the, the tabernacle and, and the uh, testimony there. And he's saying, and the seven angels in verse number six came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and, and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. We have a great introduction here in, in verses 6 through 8 uh, and that these seven angels, uh, are, they're coming out of the temple. This is all originating from heaven. Not only are they coming out of the temple, which would signify, hey, they are coming directly from God. All of this is, is coming from God. God is, uh, is, is writing it out and giving it and handing it to these angels. And, uh, and as they're coming out, we find in verse number 6 that they're clothed in pure white linen. And listen, that's fascinating. Uh, it was not said, it was not specified of the other angels what they were dressed or how they were. But these ones are. And uh, they're dressed in pure white. And I just think it, it happens to symbolize the purity of these angels in administering the very judgment of God that is about to be poured out on the earth. Not just of these angels, but also of God. God is justified and it is a pure judgment. It is not a vindictive judgment that God is pouring out on the earth. But it's a pu pure judgment. And we'll see that. It'll be referenced a little bit later down in, in chapter number 16. Uh, that, that is paused and, and mentioned again. Uh, we see the golden girdles. And uh, undoubtedly it signifies the authority of God. And uh, the fact no other angel that we see described in the book of Revelation has been dressed like this. These are unique. And so we see these seven angels coming up. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. Now I want you to notice the charge of the vials. It's given to them by one of the, those four beasts that were sitting around the throne. And we didn't, we didn't declare what they were. I'm not for sure exactly what they were. You, 
You could probably uh, come up with several ideas, but God just simply describes them as the four beasts that are around the throne of God. And one of those beasts then is in charge and responsible for passing out these vials as these angels come out of the temple of God. And, uh, and so we mentioned them again in chapter 5. They were, they, were, uh, they were described to us there. But I want you to notice that all of this in verse number 8 comes from God. And it's rather curious because the Bible says, hey, no man was to enter the temple while, while these vials were be pouring out. Uh, only God was to be there in the temple. Uh, again, this is a scene that is taking place in heaven. And so we see these seven angels introduced. And I want you to notice as we go into chapter 16, these seven vials that are, are poured out. It almost seems like there is a pause, uh, and I'm not going to say a long pause, a short pause, but almost just a stop in time as we see verse 8, till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Kind of a pause. And I heard in chapter 16, verse 1, a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Could you just imagine these angels coming out? And they're dressed in, in complete pure white linen and they have a golden girdle and, and, and here they come out and, and a very solemn process as they come out and the beast then gives them those vials and, and they would stand there uh, just waiting for the command of God. And from the very temple of God comes God's voice and he says, go and pour out the vials upon the earth. And so you kind of see all of this that's taking place. Notice in verse number two, we'll run through these vials rather quickly. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of description here in the first several of them. But I will say this, that all seven are contained right in this chapter. Uh, the other sevens, the seven seals, were not contained in one chapter. It was like four were, were uh, given really quickly, and then three were kind of spread out. Uh, the seven trumpets, uh, four were given, or five were given, six were given, actually, uh, rather quickly. And then that seventh was reserved for this. And in that seventh trumpet uh, that we covered just before all the parentheticals, uh, really was contained these seven vials. Uh, and this next judgment that takes place. And so we see here that all these are going to come out rather quickly. In verse number two, the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And, uh, and there's similarities there. I don't know what kind of sore that it would be, but it, it's similarities there between the boils that they, the, the, is, or the uh, Egyptians had when the nation of Israel was in bondage there in Egypt. And um, by the way, if you go back and you read the, the book of Exodus, and you read uh, all the plagues that took place on the nation of Israel, the whole purpose of God was, was to show that, hey, there is a God in heaven that is stronger than all the Egyptian gods. 
you'll remember the Egyptians had magicians and they would perform some of the things that Moses did as a display of God's power and the magicians would kind of do similar things and some of the same things but not near as good as God. And, and I'm just saying that Satan has power but it's not near as powerful as God's. And God was making a show and a display in Egypt that He is the all-powerful God of the universe. And, uh, and that really almost comes back into fold here as the judgment of God is point, poured out and men, uh, those that have the mark of the beast, uh, those that are already marked are going to have sores that are upon them. Maybe a boil, I don't know. Look at verse number 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. Notice this. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And so I want to be very clear that the sea does not turn into blood because the Bible says it becomes as blood. Maybe it turns red. Maybe it's a foul stench. I do not know. But the Bible just says that it becomes as blood. And I want you to notice this. And every living soul died in the sea. Isn't that fascinating? Now, could you imagine the stench that would come from the ocean? I tell you what, the beachgoers are not going to be beachgoers on this day. Uh, that ocean is going to stink, and not only that, but uh, you ever seen a, uh, some of the creatures that wash up on the shore when they die? And, and listen, there's no reason to believe that the waves are going to stop, and so the currents are going to keep running, and everything's going to keep running, and all these dead things are going to start washing up on all these shores, and there's going to be a stench, and there's going to be a, uh, just a, a grossness that is associated with the entire ocean that, that covers, really, uh, the greater part of the earth. And so we see that take place in, in the second vial. So the first vial is sores that come upon men. The second vial is that the ocean, everything dies in it, in the seas, and they become as blood. Now, uh, I would maybe a stench, maybe red, I don't really know. Uh, but I know this, that it's not going to be enjoyable. Notice in verse number four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they, notice this, became blood. And I point out in verse 3 that the sea just becomes as blood, but the rivers and, uh, and fountains of water become blood. So now you have all the wa ocean waters are contaminated. Well, that's not such a big deal. We can't drink ocean water anyways. But now all the freshwater fountains have turned to blood. And boy, what a, uh, what a stench that would go through. And, and just the animals of the rivers that would die. And of course, all the rivers feed into the lakes and all the lakes feed into the rivers. And, and just how, how uh, a nastiness would come over. And of course, this took place in, in Egypt as well. And, uh, and so we see this taking place. Look at verse number four. And the third angel, we read that. Uh, and so we see that, that rivers and fountains turn to blood. Look with me in verse five, because I want you to notice this. In the middle of here, not really the middle, but you have three vials and there's four left. But I want you to notice the declaration of God's righteousness right here in the midst of these vials. In verse five, and I heard the angel of the waters say... Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast 
and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of, the, of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And there's kind of a pause here in the midst of the judgment to declare that God is righteous in pouring out his judgments upon the earth. And so uh, they, they take the time to say that. I think we need to take the time to acknowledge, hey, listen, God, again, is not pouring out his wrath upon the earth uh, just to be vindictive or just because, well, they did this and I'm going to do that. It is a righteous judgment. And we're reminded that there is ample time for men to repent and trust the Lord as their own personal Savior. Hey, we've gone through our, our spring sowing campaign and, uh, and, and surely we've, uh, you've witnessed to people and, and I've witnessed to people and you witness to people and you say, hey, why don't you trust the Lord? Uh, I'm not interested. Wait a minute, they had an opportunity to repent, but they did not. They had an opportunity to receive the Lord, to accept that forgiveness, and they turned it down. And so God is not unjust in pouring out his judgment upon the earth. He is just, he is merciful, he is loving, he is gracious, but he also draws a line and says, hey, the time is up, and now judgment is coming. And so God makes a line and we see the judgment and we see the angel that is proclaiming God is just. We see the, the angel that is pouring out, uh, the Bible calls him the angel of the waters. We see the, uh, the, uh, the another one out of the altar saying, even so the Lord God Almighty true and righteous are thy judgments. And so listen, it is a righteous judgment. It's going to look terrible. It's going to be a horrendous time on the earth. But God is righteous in his judgments. Look with me in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with, a, with great heat. Watch this and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. It's amazing that the judgment of God falls, and all the water turns nasty uh, with death, and, and, and the critters die, and, uh, and, and it seems like at least all the fresh water turns to blood, and what would they even drink at that point? I mean, where would they go find fresh water? And so men is really suffering on earth. And then the, the, the fourth angel there uh, pours out his vial upon the sun, the Bible says. Could you imagine uh, just a, a zap from, from the sun, uh, a solar flare coming to the earth and just scorching men? I was listening to a message uh, just this week, and, and he said our, our, our world sets on a perfect, a perfect axis so that much so that if it were just tilted in the wrong amount, that uh, the, the earth, the sun would scorch one side of the earth. And God set up everything in a perfect way that it would just continue in all the laws of science. It is quite fascinating to me and I, I, I enjoy looking at it. But understand this, that at this time, God's going to allow the sun to scorch man on the earth. 
And boy, what a, what a terrible time that will be. We're not talking about a bad sunburn. We're talking about being burnt to a crisp uh, and perhaps even to die or to suffer a lot. And at that time, notice this, I find it fascinating because they will continue to blaspheme the name of God. Why wouldn't they just turn to their beast that they're worshiping, that they accepted the mark? Why wouldn't they just ask him to shield them? Well, because he's not a loving, protecting God. Uh, he, he's not interested in saving them. And so rather than turn to the beast whose mark they accepted, they continue to blaspheme the God of heaven, signifying, hey, he is ultimately the all-powerful God. And they, they, with their blasphemy, they acknowledge that. And yet here they are, but the Bible is very clear, they will not repent. They repented not to give him glory. Look at the fifth angel. In verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Notice in Egypt there was a great darkness that also overtook the land. And here the Bible says that God's going to pour out his judgment upon the, uh, the seat of the beast. That would be the, uh, the beast that is reigning in this earth. Remember the beast, the dragon, uh, and the other beast. And, and there'll be the unholy trinity that is kind of ruling and dominating in this time. And God will pour out a, a vial of darkness upon their throne. And, and men are going to be uh, in much pain and the water's all turned nasty and there's boils and the sun is baking people and, and all of this is going on as the wrath of God. Notice in verse number 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's the unholy trinity uh, that's mentioned. And, and these frogs, uh, or excuse me, unclean spirits like frogs come out of the, their mouths. And, uh, and, and we notice that, of course, we correlate that again back to uh, the, the nation of Egypt and how frogs overtook the land. Uh, and, and they probably won't remember any of that because they don't, they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. They're not going to go back and read the Bible. They're not going to study history. Uh, but nonetheless, we notice that uh, in verse number 14, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so we have these uh, darkness that's poured out upon the beast in his seat and all of this that's uh, wickedness that's going to fill the earth. And then uh, this warning in verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. And I want you to notice this because this is in a reference to the judgment of God that's going to be poured out. 
And again, the, the judgment of God is being poured out, but it is a, there is a final judgment, and that of the battle of Armageddon. You'll notice the kings of the north, the way was prepared, and all everything is being set, the stage is being prepared, so that this great battle of the judgment of Armageddon can take place. And so uh, that is a warning of judgment. We find in verse 16, And he gathereth them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So everything is all set. And we're down to the last vial. Look with me in verse number 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Boy, could you imagine the final proclamation of all the judgments of God and of everything that we know on this earth being, hey, it is done. We see that proclaimed there in verse number 17. And there were voices and thunders and lightning, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. That is referenced uh, in... I wrote it down here. That is referenced, uh, I believe, in chapter 11 as the Babylon has fallen and, and the, the wrath of, of the uh, God. Is, there, there people are made to drink of the, the wrath of God from the, uh, from the nation of Babylon. And so that's referenced there. But nonetheless, we see that uh, the great city was divided into three parts. I believe that would be to Jerusalem that is divided. And, uh, and, and the Bible goes on in verse 20, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, ver every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. And so you see all of this wrath that is being poured out upon God, or, or from God upon the earth. And that last plague is kind of in the air. And a great earthquake takes place. Uh, the great city is divided into three parts. And, uh, and then uh, all of this is taking place. Hail is now falling. And boy, there's just so much reference that goes back to the, the exodus and God's judgment on the nation of uh, Egypt as they had held um, Israel in bondage for so long. And I'm just saying that, hey, what a, what a terrible time to be on earth. And uh, that's why I entitled it The Wrath of God, because it's poured out on the earth. And you could see a great judgment. I want you to notice this, um, as you think about all of this, God did promise that he would never flood the earth again. And so he did not. Uh, he found alternate way. Uh, to judge the entire earth. Could he have flooded again? Oh, he could have, but he told, he told people that he would not. And God honors his promises. And so we see judgment being poured out in earthquakes, in sores, in the sun, sending 
I don't know, maybe solar flares to the earth and scorching people and, and, and the earthquake that will take place and the hail that will fall and, and the unclean spirits that will come out of uh, the, the beast and the false prophet and the dragon and, and go to all the kings of the world. And, and boy, what a wicked, evil day to be on the earth. And again, I'd remind you and I thank God that uh, we're not going to be here. Uh, I thank God for that. I, I, I would not want to be part of that. Uh, I will note this, that, uh, that listen, uh, the Bible does say, hey, that all these judgments are poured out on the wicked people. And, and so I do find that fascinating. Uh, maybe there are some people who are saved during the tribulation period who are still on the earth. I don't know. Uh, but I do know this, that, man, we're not, we're not planning on being here, and, uh, and we'll look forward to uh, being in heaven. And uh, what a great amount of wrath that is poured out on the earth. And, uh, and so we can see the wrath of God. And that kind of wraps up uh, the greatest of the tribulation period. It, they'll cover some other things in chapter 17. The fall of Babylon will kind of be explained and, uh, and some other things. But uh, we'll get into more of that. Uh, but boy, what a, what a terrible time of that tribulation period. And, uh, and so what a fascinating study throughout the book of Revelation. And I hope and pray that that helps you uh, as you look at that and just kind of wrap your head around all of the things that are going on. I, find, I do find it fascinating. All those vials are contained in one chapter, chapter 16. And, uh, and so they're all explained right there. And, uh, and that is kind of the final. So we have the seven seals that are poured out or opened up rather. Then we have the seven trumpets uh, that are sounded. Those are judgment, times of judgment as well. And then the seven vials. And so really a threefold, uh, three, threefold set of judgments of seven, I guess is how you would say that, uh, that are given upon the earth. And just to kind of keep in mind all of those things and, uh, and help you get an understanding and a grasp of all of that. All right. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Have a, have a word of prayer and we'll have an invitation. We'll... Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. God, truly, we thank you for the fact that you are a just God. And God, in reality, nothing escapes you. God, sometimes it feels like, as saved people on the earth, and it seems like, the wicked get away with things. But God, we know that that's not true, that you are keeping track of everything. God, it seems we're grateful, Father. We, we want to thank you for you keeping track of everything, keeping track even of those who are righteous and live right and do right and live for you. God, for your protection, your grace, your mercy that you give to us. God, I pray that you would just help each and every one of us as we think about the tribulation period, we think about the great deception, we think about how men will curse you and men will blaspheme your name, but they won't turn to you, many of them, and most of them probably will not repent nor turn. And God, may we be concerned and may we be burdened with reaching people now while there's time, now during 
the, the opportunity, Father, to be saved and turn to you. God, I pray that you'd burden our hearts with that and help us to be concerned with reaching the lost. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and, and, and help and encourage each and every believer tonight as only you can. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, I pray, Father, that they would, uh, that they would turn to you today and realize their need for salvation. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God spoke into your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you want to pray for somebody. Maybe some other need, whatever the need. Just have a short time of invitation. invitation to a close. 